Hello, everybody. Welcome to Audacious Freedom, the podcast, and I am your host, Didi Mendez. I am so happy you are here to listen to one of my stories on my life's journey to seek out freedom and love and support for myself and all human beings. Let's get started. Welcome to podcast number two for Audacious Freedom, the podcast. Today is May 14th, 2021, and I am your host, Didi Mendez. I just had to come to you today with Celeste Ng's Little Fires Everywhere, her 2017 novel and New York Times bestseller. It also became a Hulu original series in 2020, starring Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington. I recommend that you listen to the podcast or read the book before listening to this, unless you don't mind spoilers. So here we go. The story has a lot of hard topics, this novel, racism, classism, motherhood, the the tough parts of motherhood for sure, Um, entitlement and mental, mental health stigmas. This story called to me because we get to listen inside the minds of the characters and what sort of drives them, especially the two main characters, Elena Richardson, who is uptight and rigid with herself and her four children, while Mia Warren is a free-spirited and private artist and mother of one, both women living with their families in the idyllic planned community called Shaker Heights. I think there are a few key areas where Elena and Mia at first very politely and quietly sort of butt heads. And then later there's quite a bit of an explosion. Um, And the first way that we see this is the way they react to Izzy, Elena's youngest child. Elena is frustrated with Izzy who often gets into trouble and doesn't sort of act the part that Elena's other three children play, just like Elena herself has done her whole life. Um, And this makes Izzy in Elena's mind a difficult child. And what I see is that Izzy is suffering and she needs some sort of mental health support. Um, And Mia sees Izzy for being the creative and caring young person that she is and sees that she's in need of an adult who understands her just the way she is. The second place where uh, their differences arise is what sort of becomes a tiny civil war in Shaker Heights over a custody arrangement between a Chinese immigrant and a wealthy white local family. So who should raise this baby? Mei Ling, whose mother, Bibi, gave her up, left her at the fire station in a state of fear of being deported as an undocumented immigrant, having been abandoned by the baby's father, not knowing what health resources were available to her and experiencing really serious postpartum depression. So should Bibi, the birth mother, have custody of her, of her baby or Rosemary, the married wealthy longtime Shaker Heights resident and friend of Elena's who had always wanted to have children who had had multiple miscarriages over the years and who had begun the process of adopting Bibi's baby, Mailing, and who had renamed Bibi's baby Mirabelle. And just out of curiosity, I just love to know the meaning of names. I looked up what does Mailing mean in Chinese and it means beautiful and delicate or beautiful bell. And Mirabelle in Latin means wonderful. Anyway, Elena thinks Mirabelle belongs with Rosemary because she and her husband are 
are already providing a better life for her than baby could have. Plus they are applying this mental health stigma to BB that she's, she's unwell, even though it was a short period of time and due to postpartum depression. Mia, and we'll find out later why, uh, thinks BB deserves to raise her own baby and to embrace her Asian roots and that BB should be forgiven for having made decisions when she was not being treated for, for her postpartum depression. And now BB has an attorney to help her through the process. So in the meantime, I just want to share that I have a reaction to a personal reaction to mental health stigmas. Um, oh gosh, over 20 years ago, I was diagnosed in the late nineties with depression. Um, uh, it was situational. It was chemical. I was going through a divorce. It was very sudden. Um, and I was able to get help. I worked for a wonderful company. Uh, my boss said, you know, take advantage of the short-term disability that you're, you know, it's provided to all employees, get the care that you need. Um, I did, I had the resources to get the care, to get the time off, to be paid while I was off and getting this care and came back to work. And then about 10 years after that, I decided, um, to have a baby on my own. I wasn't with a partner, um, uh, and I decided to have my baby on my own. And when I became pregnant, I was so happy with the news and called around my family, my grandparents, my parents, my sister, um, cousins, and aunts and uncles, and everyone was supportive except one, which shockingly was a cousin my age. I lived in Manhattan. She lived in Brooklyn. And she said, well, what about your depression? I said, what do you mean about my depression? She said, well, how can you have a baby if you're depressed? I said, well, that was 10 years ago. I was able to you know, get the care I needed. And I haven't been depressed in 10 years. And anyway, long story short, my daughter is now almost 12. And I think we're both, I know we're both doing very well. And I haven't been again, depressed in over 20 years. So I just thought that was an interesting perspective from my own family and someone that was very close to me. Back to little fires everywhere. Izzy, um, not a surprise, doesn't in this um, minute, mini civil war and custody case does not side with her mother, but she sides with Mia and BB. And in court, the case is playing out very much as a race and class issue. And I got to tell you, while the novel is set in the 1990s, I still think scenarios like this are playing out today in 2021, um, where you know, just because a white and wealthy family can't have babies of their own doesn't mean they deserve to you know, take babies away from the families of people of color and immigrants just because they're in a lower economic class. I was so upset for BB reading this and for the thought of her and her baby not being able to be together and the arrogance and entitlement of Rosemary and Elena. I got to tell you, fucking pissed me off, man. Anyway, this explosion has been unfolding behind the scenes and kind of comes out in this, this last phase that I'm going to talk about where we know Mia's private. She has secrets and Elena decides to dig into her background. And when she does, she's able to find out something that quite frankly was none of her damn business. And it turns out when Mia was trying to put herself through art school in New York, um, the funding for her program ran out and she had to figure out how to, how to fund it. And this kind of luck would have it randomly. She was approached by a couple, uh, the Ryans who asked her to be 
the surrogate and egg donor for their baby and that they would provide an apartment for her and cover all medical expenses. And all that Mia would have to do is inseminate herself with her own egg, create the baby, then carry the baby, and finally hand over the baby, technically, biologically, her own baby too, for an undisclosed fee. Undisclosed fee. So again, spoiler alert, but maybe too late. Um, here's what happens next is... Mia bonds with the baby growing inside her and decides to tell the Ryans that she lost the baby. She writes them a letter. She refunds them all the expenses and moves to the West Coast to give birth to her baby, a girl who she names Pearl, which means, by the way, a gem of the sea. So beautiful. So fast forward years later, Pia and Merle eventually Pearl and Mia eventually move to Shaker Heights where Pearl is now a teenager and where they have all met and have become embedded in the lives of Elena and her family. And now the civil civil war custody case. So Elena has this news explodes with the secret that Mia has worked so hard to keep quiet from everyone, including Pearl. And I got to tell you, I was so upset at Elena accusing Mia of being a thief, basically of stealing the Ryan's baby when Pearl was really her baby too, biologically. And she had refunded the money, which, you know, kind of in my mind was a minimal investment that the Ryans made, you know, plus the sperm donation, um, you know, that he and his wealth, wealthy wife had paid Mia. They re- reimbursed all that money, um, you know, for, for Mia to do what Mrs. Ryan could not give herself and her family. And just because they were wealthy and could provide a better life for this baby, course, Elena sided with them too. So at the end of the novel, I, I kind of feel like with the novel and the series, they end similarly. And um, in both cases, whichever ending you read or watch, Elena has to face what at least one of her four, four children thinks of her perfect life and her perfect town and her perfect house while Mia and Pearl drive off and into their next adventure. Elena has effectively run Mia and Pearl out of town in the night, middle of the night, but Mia and Pearl are free and they're really good people. And they're now closer to each other than ever. Meanwhile, Elena is little fires everywhere, um, is watching her house burn to the ground along with this whole concept of her perfect life. Like I said, this novel had some hard topics to deal with, racism, classism, entitlement of privileged people, and they all converge in this custody case. And there's a couple of things I didn't call out in, you know, Elena's niceness. Um, You know, she doesn't see herself as a racist. My older daughter is dating an African-American, you know, she said, and um, she uses this niceness as a cover for racism. And, you know, she gave Mia um, the rent to her rental property at a, at a low rate because she was an artist. Um, she offered Mia a job in her own home to, um, you know, pay her better than what Mia was earning at the Chinese restaurant um, waitressing. So she's sort of this savior, but ultimately she's truly a racist. And then I think the most difficult topic, especially, you know, for me is this mental health stigma and this focus on, you know, baby's severe postpartum depression and having left her baby temporarily as, you know, like a permanent mark on her um, ability to be a mother. And yet 
you look at poor Izzy, who may or may not have burned her parents' house down, um, she needs mental health care, you know, not a mother who tries to control her and wishes she's more like the other kids who are conforming or we're meant to think they're conforming. But if you read the book or watch the series, you find out that at least some, if not all of the other three children are also holding some secrets. Um, you know, instead of loving Izzy as who she is and, um, you know, maybe getting her some mental health support, Elena is upset with her kid. Um, and it seems to me too, that if anybody needs healthcare, it just might be Elena. Um, her house is literally burning down at the hands of her own family. So I don't know, my takeaways ultimately really no one is perfect and good moms don't have to be perfect and neither do their kids. This is a great story. I thank Celeste Ng for writing the novel for Hulu, for bringing it to life as a series. Um, I appreciate all of the um, provocative thinking I've had having sharing all this with all of you, but trust me, I've had many conversations with people in my life and my circles about all of these issues, all these difficult, hard topics. This is TD Mendez with Audacious Freedom, the podcast. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to next time. This has been Didi Mendez with Audacious Freedom, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I can't wait for next time.